0: together on the first day of the week to worship our awesome God. Thank you for joining in in such a fine way and praising him. Appreciate the good songs we've been led in today, the prayers and uh, being able to give back to our God. It always feels a little weird when I'm visiting places and I I don't, uh, you know, put something in the plate because I'm giving back at my home congregation. But anyway, I think everybody kind of understands that. But it's just a, a, a wonderful blessing to partake in, the. Same five acts of worship that Christians have been partaking in now for a little over, uh, well, about 2,000 years now. So uh, it's just a blessing to worship with you all. It's always a blessing to be in this area and to be uh, with the fine brethren who meet here. Is This, this is considered Gainesboro, right? Is this a Gainesboro address? Okay, so in Gainesboro. And uh, I've just uh, been treated much better than I deserve. I always am. I love the relationship that uh, I and my family have with you all and also that Apologetics Press has, we thank you for your moral and prayerful support and also for your generous and kind uh, financial support through the years. You all have, have blessed us and we were very blessed uh, at the end of last year to meet a, a, a large matching campaign that we were challenged by a generous donor and we, we met that and we're so thankful. We have a lot of uh, plans if the Lord wills in 2023 to do some things that we, we hope will be very helpful. We're going to continue to try to put out some, some good Vacation Bible School material. I heard that uh, I think you all had used that uh, sometime in the last year or so. Uh, we have one coming out in the next month called Operation Creation for All Ages. And then uh, I'm already proofing some material for 2024 that's just going to be on the name Jesus. And every night it's going to be about Jesus and the first night on Jesus, the, Ma- the Messiah. And the next night on Jesus, the Nazarene and jesus lord and then jesus uh, almighty and then jesus the savior so i I, i've been proofreading that material i've been immersing myself i was doing that some yesterday in that so that i'm sure you wanted to hear about what's coming out in 2024 i'm also excited about us coming out with a a a smaller bible we have our apologetics press study bible and uh we uh have uh, the rights from um well in agreement with harper collins and thomas nelson To do a smaller version of the New King James that will be kind of what we're calling more of a kind of an evangelism Bible that will have some things in it, like if you give a Bible to someone who doesn't know anything about anything, maybe is is, is not uh, even a theist, doesn't even believe in God. So there will be a small section in there on why you should believe in God, why you should believe the Bible, why you should believe that Jesus is the Son of God, why you should become a member of Jesus Church and only Jesus Church, and why you how you become a member of that church and so it's going to be probably more the size of this kind of bible that's a four-pound bible there in the back and uh i have yet to start preaching from a four-pound bible because you know i'm so weak in my muscles that i don't know if i can handle carrying a four-pound bible around for an hour or two but um that's uh we're we're hoping to be able to release that here in in uh, 2023 so we have a lot of things that we have ongoing I hope that you'll continue to use the Apologetics Press website. We have thousands of articles and hundreds of videos on that website, as well as the app, if that is helpful to you. And again, uh, my guess is, I think it's an educated guess, that 99% of everything we produce is on our website for free electronically in one one form or another. In fact, uh, even though it's not free because we have to uh, pay royalties to HarperCollins to use the New King James text, Uh, You can get the study Bible on Olive Tree uh, electronically or on uh, Amazon.com, if I recall correctly. And uh, I think it's uh, probably about half the price of what you'll find in print. Uh, Still, though, most people would like to have that in print. So it's been a pleasure to be with you all this weekend. Friday night we studied uh, a biblical response to cancel culture. And then last night we talked about God's defense recipe, as we learned from 1 Peter Chapter 3 and verse 15, looking at it in the context of the epistle of First Peter. We also talked last night about how the Bible is absolutely correct in everything it says, including being scientifically accurate, which is an accusation that has ratcheted up more in uh, this day and time. And then we've talked about the poster children of evolution this morning, and then this last lesson that we have together in this worship hour. We're looking at wonders of God's creation. And I believe it's totally appropriate, even in a worship hour, to think about some of God's amazing wonders. You know, I I don't know many people, especially children, who don't like going to a farm and seeing maybe it's sheep or chickens or, or cows or maybe even some people have some bunny rabbits. I don't know any kids. I don't know many adults who don't like to see and look at and pet some of these, well, maybe not some of these creatures. Maybe you like going to the zoo I mean, I tell you, when we still had kids at home, we had a zoo pass there in Montgomery. And, uh, you know, if, if we needed to discipline our children, we might threaten to leave those children at the zoo with the rest of the animals. Not just, I'm just kidding about that, okay. Uh, but we love to go to the zoo and look at the elephants and the, the uh, uh, giraffes and lions and the funny baboons and monkeys, and we, we have always enjoyed going to the parks, maybe feeding the the ducks and the geese and even when those geese bite our little fingers, uh, we still like going back and going to parks and seeing animals. I mean it's just amazing to look outside and to see creatures that are eating from our bird feeder that we used to have set up and right outside of our uh, what we call our little coffee room and our sitting room. You know, when our kids were younger they used to enjoy looking at the little cicadas that had been in the ground the 17-year cicada is being in the ground for 17 years before coming out and metamorphosizing. And maybe you think it looks like a creature from Mars, but it is an amazing process and uh, how a creature can go from crawling out of the ground to becoming a flying cicada. Maybe you like to find a turtle or maybe a lizard every now and then, or maybe you like to find a little baby frog and maybe you have never done what my kid did, but put that little baby frog in his belly button and took a picture of it. Animals are just amazing little creatures. I mean, even just dogs. Don't you just love a good dog? Some of you might be cat people. Bless your hearts. That's all right. I just like a dog that you can, you know, kind of wrestle with a little bit, and he'll come and sit in your lap, and I guess some cats can, but cats seem to kind of do what they want to do. Of course, if you have mice around, I, I, there's probably not a better animal to have than a cat. And my dog, I don't know what he'd do with a mouse. He might run from a mouse. He runs from a lot of things, I think. He's 13 years old now. He's brought a lot of little joy to our family. You know, the Bible actually talks about animals a good bit. I mean, in eight of the first nine chapters of the Bible, a number of animals, of animals are mentioned. In one of the more unique, amazing books of the Bible, the book of Job, you have a book where, unfortunately, most people seem to remember the first two chapters in the last chapter where Job sadly loses everything and then he, he becomes twice as wealthy at the end of the book and he has ten more children. And, and yet there are these um, 39 chapters in between those chapters where there are a number of speeches, including the climax of the book where God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. Job has been wanting to know, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? God, come and tell me what's going on. God, let's have a meeting. I mean, I'm not the bad person that my longtime friends are thinking I am because all these bad things are happening to me. They believed in this idea of retribution, like if something bad is happening, you must have done something bad, and that's not necessarily always the case right oftentimes it's not and so job's wanting to understand these things and so god speaks to job in chapter 38 39 40 and 41 two separate speeches you know it's interesting and there's a lesson for us here that's not necessarily the lesson of the hour but god never tells job the answer to job's question. So, you know, you and I might be going through something right now. We might have gone through something in the past that's been really hard, and maybe we're going to go through something in the future. And we may ask the question, why? And we may wonder why and want an answer as to why. And, And, you know, I fully believe once we come to know based upon the evidence that God exists and the Bible is His Word and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we know based upon our reception of the gift of salvation through obedience to the gospel plan of salvation through faith confession of that faith through repentance and immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins acts chapter 2 and verse 38 that we can know that we are saved. and when we know that we are right with God by the blood of Jesus Christ by the grace and mercy of God you know whatever happens to me in this life I might wonder why but I don't have to know the answer to it you know Long ago, some probably 4,000 plus years ago, Job was wanting to know what was going on. And God speaks to Job. And you know, if you're reading this book for the first time, you're probably thinking, well, God's about to tell Job what we learned in chapters 1 and 2. But he never does. He talks to Job about his creation. He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where... And then he begins to talk about all his his animate creation, not all of it, but a good bit of it, in the universe. And he begins to show Job, explain to Job, by way of talking about the lion, the raven, even the mountain goat and wild donkey and these other animals you read here. He begins to show Job of his greatness, his goodness. Chapter 41, verse 11, Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under the heaven is mine. Job, answer the Lord in chapter 42, verse 1, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I mean, Job was just in awe of God. It's like his question about why he was suffering, he didn't have to know that anymore because he better understood who this awesome creator is, seemingly coming to the conclusion, whatever happens to me in this life, I don't have to know all the reasons because God is awesome. You may say, well, Eric, that's just kind of strange, but... You know, I have a a hunch if you and I had the same experience with God that Job had on this occasion, if we have an honest and good heart like Job did, our response would be exactly the same. My point is that God taught Job some amazing lessons by referring to God's awesome creation. And what we've already noted to some degree last night, we can know based upon God's creation that God exists. We can know that matter demands a maker, and that life demands a life giver, and that intelligent life demands an intelligent creator, and that design demands a designer. That complex, functional design, even in a funny-looking, goofy-looking kind of animal that we call the giraffe, that you may wonder what kind of... I mean, this animal... Listen, if you, if, if you didn't know that giraffes existed, and you're in a first-grade class, and you're drawing an animal, and neither you nor your teacher knows this animal existed, they would think, you would think, you know, you're just making up some kind of thing, and you're not a very good artist. That would be my guess. We look at this animal, it just looks like it's something out of a comic book, I suppose. But it's a real animal that has a neck that's about six feet long, legs that are about six feet long, tails that can grow to be six to eight feet long. It has a tongue that's 18 inches long. <laughs> kind of funny looking, isn't it? That they can actually run 30 miles per hour at top speed. This, that's faster than a human being can run and a whole lot faster than I can run. And as this animal is probably most well known for its long neck i suppose it would be appropriate for a moment to talk about that you know even though its neck is about six feet long it has the same number of neck bones that you and i have they're just a whole lot longer have you ever thought about this that in order for its brain to work it's got to get what it's got to get blood from its heart to its brain you say well eric what's the big deal about that well You know it's one thing to get blood from our hearts to our brains which might be you know there might be about a foot there in difference you know maybe 12 inches maybe a little less a little more depending on how tall you are and you know what you have to have a heart that does what that pumps strong enough if you have blood you know we talk about blood pressure a lot as being a bad thing well you need some blood pressure right we don't need blood pressure that's too high or too low we we need blood pressure that is high enough to pump that blood throughout our body and especially to our brains because blood carries what to our brains? Carries oxygen to our brains. And we need that. And if we, if we don't have that for a certain amount of time, it can permanently damage our brains. Well, here is an animal that has to pump blood up against gravity about eight feet in the air because the heart is here and it's got to go from the heart all the way up through its neck into its brain against gravity no wonder that the that the giraffe has as far as i understand from scientists study twice the blood pressure of any land mammal and about three times that of any human being depending on how high your blood pressure is and so it has a heart that is about two feet long, that when full of blood weighs about 20 pounds. Could any of you say, you know, what would you think if someone said, well, you know, about, uh, I don't know, a, a tenth of my weight is in my heart. I, that sounds like a big heart. A 20-pound heart to help pump blood up against gravity, which you say, well, okay, that's, that's neat and all, but then what happens when the giraffe bends down to pick something off of the ground or better yet drink a lot of water. You know that a a giraffe can drink more in one drinking session than a camel can? I mean they have to be careful because there might be lions or crocodiles or other things around so you know they're on high alert but how can they be on high alert if the blood is pumping furiously from its heart to its brain and then it bends its neck down below its heart. Let me ask you something. We're not going to do this this morning but if everyone stood up and I said let's lower our head as far as we can and stand up with our head lowered below our heart as long as possible. What's going to happen to a number of us? We're going to what? We're going to at the very least get lightheaded and at maybe, I'm not going to say at most, but it's very likely that a number of us will do what? Woo! We'll just pass out like some of you look like you're about to do right now because you had a big breakfast of bacon, eggs, and biscuits this morning, right? Just kidding. Okay, so how, how does this keep from happening? How does the blood not just keep pumping and rushing to the giraffe's head and his brain just pool with all sorts of blood? Well, see these? These are air quotes, right? It just so happens... Just so happens. Well, I tell you what, evolution is amazing, isn't it? Just time, chance, random, mutated processes. It's always funny, and not really funny, but it's frustrating, I guess, how mutations are like the darling of evolution. Well, how did that happen? Well, it mutated over a thousand. How did that, mutation, mutations, mutations. I don't know about you, but... Most of the time when we hear about mutations, they're a bad thing, right? It's, it's not like you, I, you know, I've got my six-month doctor checkup in the morning. I just got a text about earlier ago. Hey, remember, you can't eat in the morning. I'm hoping this is not going to be one of those three-hour doctor visits. You know, you can't eat before you go to the doctor. And You know, if the doctor comes back in there after examining and says, Eric, I've got some news for you. You have mutated genes in this part of your body and that part of your body and this part. You know, am I going to say, yes, I'm evolving into a better being? No, generally speaking, mutations are not necessarily a good thing. They might be somewhat neutral in some ways, but mutations most of the time are a negative thing. My dad's side of the family, um, doctors discovered that in the Lyons family, there were a number of individuals, some of his brothers, who had a mutated gene. And if you had this particular gene, it was very likely going to cause your death and so there were operations that were done there were tests that were done even on my dad as I recall correctly to see if he had that gene and I was thankful that it skipped him and I was sorry that some of his siblings received that was that you know did they like yes I got that gene they weren't happy about that my dad is the oldest one in his family and sadly he's just lost another sibling and he's one of the fewer ones that are left on his side of the family. He turns 88 here in, in about a week. Are we to, to marvel at the, at the design of the giraffe and think that, you know, good old evolution just gave us the giraffe? Well, how do you explain the fact that the main aorta between the, the giraffe's heart and the giraffe's brain has valves in it that close off whenever the giraffe bends its neck downward. So that the blood is not rushing to the brain of the giraffe and the giraffe does not pass out and can keep its head lowered for several minutes at a time. And well then you, the question, I, I suppose, it begs the question, well then how does it get any blood to its brain? Well you see this Network of blood vessels here. It's called the network of the carotid Well, it slowly slowly and gently gives the drafts brain just the right amount of blood Needed does that sound like time chance, and random accidents that caused such amazing design in this animal anybody know what this creature is? Anybody saying it, it looks kind of fishy How about an electric eel? Electric eels are, I mean, what if, you know, it's one thing to be, you know, to touch a doorknob and there'll be some static electricity there and you shock yourself or maybe you shock someone else. Have y'all ever gotten that little device where you put on your finger and it like you can shake hands with someone and it'll kind of give them a little bit of some kind of jar or shock? You know, we think that's funny as kids, maybe as adults too. Well, here is a creature that can shock the daylights out of you. How did, how did something go from a non-electric eel to an electric eel? I mean, this is a creature that can stun a horse, that can put a human being in the hospital, that, has, that is made up, about 80% of its body is made up of something called electroplax. And electroplax are muscles arranged like batteries, and these, these muscles don't contract like, uh, like regular muscles they give off electrical charges at will sending it through these nerves sending up as much as 600 volts of electricity at one time if you want to see some interesting footage see uh, you know you got to be careful surfing the internet I'm, i'm very big on being careful about that especially for young people and really all of us but when you go to maybe youtube and you type in electric eel you know bitten by like by a dog I saw a video the other day of a dog look like a German Shepherd got a hold of an electric eel and it was It was an interesting sad and kind of funny all at the same time kind of video I saw it was either an alligator or a crocodile chomped down on an electric eel and it looked like it may have been the demise of both of them but how did the first electric eel come along? How did it know to make muscles, not like the kind of muscles that you and I have, but muscles that would be arranged in such a way and that could put off in such a way these kinds of reactions that would cause electrical volts, for lack of a better term. How do evolutionists explain the electric eel's ability to not shock itself, but the ability to shock something else? And how did it know that it needed this special layer of insulation to keep it from shocking Itself. How, do, how did an animal that never had shocked itself before or shocked something else, how did it know how to do all of this without an amazing creator? I contend that if the universe and all those living things in it show complex functional design, then there must be a designer. Well, sure enough, the universe shows complex functional design. Thus, the universe must have had a designer. You may think that this looks like a squid or an octopus. This is actually known as a cuttlefish. The cuttlefish looks like something almost out of a Batman movie, doesn't it? I mean, with eyes like that, with uh, bluish green blood, something that can spew like a squid or octopus can black ink out of its body, has tentacles, two of which it can, it can kind of blow out of its mouth like birthday party blowers. Have you seen those or used those before? But the most amazing thing about this animal is its ca- camouflage abilities or its, its ability to uh, blend in with its environment. Like if it's swimming next to a rock or a barnacle, it can actually, can you imagine being able to do this with your skin? Like manipulate its skin to look kind of like a, some kind of shell or barnacle. Or it also knows when it's swimming, say, next to seaweed to move its arms or its tentacles up and down and to sway like the seaweed that it's swimming next to. I was looking at one science magazine a few years, and it had this, um, it's a creature that is categorized as a cephalopod, and uh, it had it on the cover, a cuttlefish. And it talked about it being almost like an alien-like creature with amazing intelligence. I wonder where it got this, this intelligence from. Well, people can say it came from aliens, but that just begs the question what? Well, where did alleged alien intelligence come from? And I'm not suggesting there are aliens. I'm just saying sometimes atheistic evolutionists will say that, well, you know, life came here from aliens. Okay, let's just say I grant you that for a moment. Where did the alien life come from? It continues to beg the question. I read several years ago where there were the, um, I believe it was the U.S. military studying cuttlefish to learn more about camouflage abilities, and they put these animals in different fish tanks. Some of them with um, with uh, vertical lines along the fish tanks, and when they put these cuttlefish in there, the cuttlefish began to move their tentacles up vertically to mimic the vertical lines of the fish tank. And they put them in another fish tank with horizontal lines and you can guess what happened. They began to splay their tentacles out horizontally to look like the lines in the fish tanks in which they were swimming. Amazing creatures. Probably the most amazing ability they have though is the ability to simply change the color of their skin at will. And I'm not saying this is the only animal that can do that. I'm saying. This animal can do it to about 40 different colors. Listen, once you get past, you know, red, green, blue, yellow, purple, I'm, you know, I'm about all out of colors. Brown, black, okay. 40 different colors. And one of the amazing things that hasn't been yet proven, but there are some who think that this animal is actually colorblind, but somehow knows how to turn into the colors of its surrounding area in order to blend in with it. Who made? Did something make this creature or is it the product of random, godless evolution? I believe the psalmist is exactly right when he says, This great and wide sea in which are innumerable, teeming things, living things, both small and great. O Lord, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom! You have made them all anybody know what this creature is i mean scientists classify the duck billed platypus as a mammal but it's the most unusual quote-unquote mammal you've ever seen there's not a category for an animal that is about the size of a house cat with fur thicker than that of a polar bear it can store food in its mouth like a chipmunk this is from our book wonders of god's creation i think there might be some copies in the back It has a beaver-like tail and webbed feet like an otter. It has a bill like a duck and spurs like a rooster. And it lays eggs like a turtle and produces venom like a snake. But I think that despite all those unique traits of a duck-billed platypus, the coolest thing about this animal is that when it wants to eat, it dives down into the water and it eats a lot of little things like tadpoles and worms and little shrimps and things. And it, it closes its eyes when it does this. Well, how does it find what it wants to eat? Well, it has an electroreceptor sensor that is able to detect even the faintest little... Can you imagine how faint an impulse, a pulse would be from... Um, from some kind of worm or tadpole and it's able to find them with this sensitive, very sensitive electroreceptor system in its mouth and in, you know, this, uh, this duck-like bill to find its food. Chance or design? You know, if we saw anything close to this in the mechanical world, we would say this demands an engineer, this demands a designer, this demands a maker, this demands a manufacturer, this demands some creator of it. God has given us thousands of examples to say, hey, this is what should bring Him glory and should cause us to realize how great He is. We read in Revelation 4 where John wrote, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. There are thousands and thousands of examples that declare the glory of God, wonders of His creation. You know, when you look up the word design in a dictionary, When you look up the word design, it talks about things that are planned and intentionally designed that, that demand some measure of intelligence before the design came about. And we look in this world, we see all sorts of designs that demand a designer and with all the examples that we have before us, how can we not come to the logical, to the right conclusion that that the designer wants us to come to, that he exists, and to come to the conclusion that Job came to, that he is great, that he is awesome, and that he is so awesome that regardless of what questions I have in this life that may or may not ever get answered, when I come to realize how great, how big, how almighty, how loving, how kind, how good he is, if I am in a car accident on the way home to Alabama today and I you know, lose my left leg or lose my sight or something you know, that we would view as bad happens to me, you know who is still good? God is. You know, two years ago after I got COVID... Um, I, I, I started having a lot of foot issues, and I never put the two and two together. I went to a few doctors, and they said, well, Eric, you have tarsal tunnel syndrome. You, you've heard of carpal tunnel syndrome. Well, they said you have tarsal tunnel syndrome in your in your uh, feet, in your ankles, and it's causing nerve compressions, which are causing your feet to do all sorts of crazy things as far as the nerve pain goes. And so I was started taking medicine, and I went to this doctor and that doctor, and I was still having all sorts of... You know, weird nerve pains in my feet. Just standing up for minutes or hours can be very painful. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just saying, hey, you no, know, that's what they told me I had. And then I was told, you know, you need to go visit this other doctor at UAB, to which I, I, I went to, to uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham uh, clinic, and he said, you know, I, I think you have something else going on. He said, when did you have COVID? And I don't know much about COVID. I said, well, you know, that was in December of that particular year. And he said, when did all these problems start with, you know, these neurological issues? I said, well, in January, he said, I think you have post-COVID syndrome. And I thought, well, that sounded kind of weird. And actually, I've heard more about it since then. And other people supposedly have it. I went to a neurologist there at UAB. She said, yes, I think you have what we would call, and maybe it's just a broad term, you know, post-COVID neuropathy in your feet. Now, I don't know if that's what I have. I really don't, because I've had about two different diagnoses, and maybe it's both from a number of different doctors. You know, all I know is this. Whatever pain I have with that little thing, and, and, and when I say little, I mean it's little compared to the grand scheme of things. Whatever trouble I might go through, whatever trouble you might go through, and, and, and I'm not trying to minimize the pain and and the, 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 the emotional trauma that we sometimes feel when we are diagnosed with a particular disease or when we have a big problem whether it's a financial problem or whether it's a family problem or whether it's the loss of a dear loved one what i am saying is whatever it may be one of the things that the bible teaches us is our god is able to help us come through this and continue to have our eyes fixed on him and be faithful until we take our last breath. with Whether that is because someone is taking our breath away from us intentionally, like when you think of the persecution in the first century, or when you think of maybe having the opportunity to pass away in a peaceful sense and in a peaceful way, whatever it is, you know who is worthy of all glory and honor? and heartfelt worship our awesome god who who tells us that if we're faithful to him if we continue to trust in him we're going to be with him forever and ever and let me tell you something i have every reason to believe that a hundred years from now a thousand years from now a million years from now a billion years from now a trillion years from now when we're no longer counting years that whatever problems eric had in this world temporarily for a Finite period of time are going to mean, in a sense, absolutely nothing compared to what we get to experience on the other side. Are you going to be on the right side of the other side? God wants you to be. That's why Jesus did what he did so that every one of us could know that we have received the gift of eternal life. Have you received it this morning?